Now, the reality is this. Your life is not an accident, okay? Maybe there are accidental parents, but there's no such thing as an accidental kid. Your parents may not have planned you, but God planned you. You are no accident. The Bible says that God created you for for five purposes, five reasons, five assignments. And the Bible refers to those as your calling, your vocation. Your vocation is far more than just your career. And I say that because your career in your lifetime, the average person will change seven different times. But the calling that God has on your life never changes. Uh, Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, meaning they don't change. Now, several weeks ago, we started this series off by taking a look at the eight overarching principles that you need to understand about your call. Then we took a look at our first calling, which was to be loved. And that may have been a shocker to you. Because a lot of times when we think of the calling that God has in our life, we think of the calling, uh, him calling us to be a worker or a warrior or a slave or a servant. But the reality is, is that God called you first and foremost to be loved by him. And until you get that, life isn't going to make a whole lot of sense. Only when you understand that God loves you does it prepare you for the other four callings that he has on your life. The following week, we looked at the second calling, which was this, that we've been called to belong. You were called to belong to his family. You were formed for his family. You were made to connect to community. The third calling was this, that we've been called to become. God made you to become what he wants you to be. When someone comes up to you and says, you know what, you can be anything you want, they're wrong. No matter how hard I try, guess what? I could never be an opera singer, okay? But I am glad that there are no auditions for the vocal team this next week, because I'm going to be front and center, okay? Folks, I could never be an opera singer. And neither could you if you haven't been shaped for that. If God hasn't called you to be that, you can only be what God has called you to be. And so you've been called to be loved. You've been called to belong. You've been called to become. And last week, we took a look at the fourth calling, which is that you have been called to bless, to bless other people. God didn't put you on this earth just to be some selfish little clod. No, life isn't about you. Life is all about God, and it's all about others. And as I bless other people, you know what happens? I get blessed. As I help other people, I I, I get helped. It's the law of sowing and reaping. When you sow one seed, let me ask you this, do you get back just one seed? No, not at all. You get back a bushel full of seeds. And God has called you to bless other people because truly, as you bless others with the, for the glory of God and for the good of others, we call that the bivocational ministry, okay? And you have the motive of doing it out of love, God will just bless your socks off of you. And he does that through your unique shape. I taught on this a number of years ago, so we didn't teach on it last week, but... 
basically your shape are five elements that make you you. Your spiritual gifts, your heart, which are your passions, your abilities, your personality, and your experiences. Those five things make you you. If you want to understand God's will for your life, and I have many people that come in and say, George, what's God's will for my life? I said, let's sit down and let's talk about your shape. That gives you a huge clue because your shape is unique. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you have a unique handprint, a unique footprint, a, a unique voice print, a unique eye print, meaning that God doesn't want you to be anybody else but you. If you're not gonna be you, I mean, who's gonna be you, okay? Today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at the fifth calling on your life, which is this, that you have been called to be sent. I'm called to be loved, belong, become, be blessed, or to bless, and to be sent. If you want to know what human history is all about, I want you to write this down. He's gathering a family that will love and live with him forever. You see, the Bible makes this very clear. If God hadn't wanted a family, folks, he would not have created the universe. He would have not have created our solar system. He would have not have created our planet. He would not have created you and me. But because God wanted a family, he created the universe so he could create our solar system, so he could create our planet, and he created our planet. Isn't it interesting? In such a way that it would sustain life so that he could create you. He wants you to be you, and he wants you to be in his family. Ephesians 1.5, I've mentioned this verse a, a lot of times. It's kind of like a core verse for this study uh, th that says, wherever it says it. Oh, there it is. Poor eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family. That is God by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. Now, the interesting fact is this, that all of us have been created by God and all of us are loved by God, but not all of us are children of God. You only become a child of God when you choose to be a part of his family. Physically, there are only two ways that you can get into a family, right? You're either born into it or you are adopted into it. God uses this same metaphor. For that to happen, what you need to do is you need to choose to be a part of his family. The whole reason that God created the universe is because he wanted you to willingly choose to be in his family. He gave you a free choice to, to, to reject him or to accept him. Will you write this down? It's not faith when it's forced. God wants you to freely choose to, to love him back. He's created you to love him. He wants you to love him back. At LifePoint Church, we say this, we are not into coercion. I don't believe in it, okay? But we are into persuasion because we believe the best ideas win. And those who choose freely to become part of his family the Bible makes it pretty clear that one day God's going to gather all these people who have chosen freely to be a part of his family, and he is going to take them into eternity future, into heaven. And that is where real life begins. You see, what you and I are going through right now really isn't real life. It's preschool. It's the warm-up act, okay? 
It's the audition, okay? Which, again, there's no auditions for the open vocal choir. I think that's really important to remember. Uh, but there's, there's no auditions. This, 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 or this, is, this is the audition. There's no auditions when we get to. When we're there, man, that is where real life begins. Now, for God together, this family together, somebody has to pass on the good news. Take a look at Romans chapter 10, 13 through 15. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is what the scripture means when, it, when they say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Will you circle the word sent? This is the fifth calling. Will you write this down? I'm sent to bring others into God's family. The moment you step across the line of faith, willingly, free choice wise, God wants you to share your story, his story, and listen to the other people's story and bring those three elements together. Why? Because to not do so would, would be like a crime. If I had the cure for cancer or Alzheimer's or AIDS and I didn't share it, that'd be criminal, wouldn't it? But God has given you and I the greatest news and message ever. How to have our past forgiven, how to have purpose in the present, and how to have a place in heaven. And not to share that would be a crime as well. And so my fifth calling in life is that I am truly sent to bring others into God's family. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. Through Christ, God made peace between us and himself. Then God gave us the work of bringing others into peace with him. Will you circle the word peace that's mentioned two times there? God made peace between us and himself. And he's given us the work of bringing peace to other people. In other words, what Paul is saying here is this. God's not mad at you. You can live in peace. And this work of being at peace with God and, and, and bringing peace to other people is called the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is just bringing two opposing parties together where they dwell in peace. And Jesus talked about this. In fact, one day when he was walking on a dusty road, some guy came up to him and says, hey, can you summarize the Bible for me? And he says, sure. And he did it in basically two sentences. He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, be reconciled to God and be reconciled to each other. Make peace with God and make peace with each other. Stop the war with God and stop the war with each other. In the conflict with God and in the conflict with others. Get the Prince of Peace in your life and what will happen is that you will have peace with God, with yourself, and with others. You see, when Jesus talked about this ministry of reconciliation, he knew and understood that life is about relationships. That it's not about accomplishments or achievements or acquisitions. Folks, it's about relationships. 
It's about a relationship with God, with ourselves, and with others. And this is the ministry of reconciliation. It is God's plan to bring peace to the world. Now take a look at John 20, verse 21. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Will you circle two words? Circle the word peace and sending. You see, at LifePoint Church, we take that verse very seriously, folks. We seek to live it as a lifestyle. We seek to do it all the time. However, when it comes to this calling, most people shy away from it. Imagine with me for a moment. You coming into heaven. And God says, hey, you know, I'm glad you're here. I've been waiting for an eternity and now you're here and you're gonna be here for an eternity future. But let's do a little inventory, okay? Did you let me love you? Yeah, I got that one banned out. Absolutely, that's why you're here, that's great. Okay, second one, do you belong? Oh yeah, I became a part of a local church. No, no, yeah, that, I got that one down, okay? Did you seek to become Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I didn't get there completely, but you know those mirror neurons? Hey, they kicked in when I saw Jesus, and yeah, I'm there right now, okay? Okay, how about this one? Did you bless others? Oh, yeah, Pastor. I mean, oh, yeah, Pastor God. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm bivocational. I mean, I do it for the glory of God and for other people, okay? Okay, how about the fifth one? Were you sent? Four out of five ain't bad, it is a God, I mean. What, you're kidding me. What in the world were you thinking? I gave you the greatest message ever and you didn't share it? Unbelievable, inconceivable, okay? Jesus says, just as I have been sent from the Father, from heaven to earth, so I am sending you into all the world. When he said that, folks, he's talking about the ministry of reconciliation. Our plan for reconciliation really is a simple one here at LifePoint, and it is this. It is ordinary people empowered by God making a difference together wherever they are. Now, that short little sentence is important. And so I want to break it out, kind of word or phrase by phrase, okay? Ordinary people. Folks, it's not about the superstars. This ministry of reconciliation, of going out into all the world, isn't about superstars. It's not about uh, the nuns or priests or pastors or missionaries. It's about ordinary people. It's about the common Carls and Carlas of, of Collin County. It's about the, the Dave and Danas of, of Denton County. It's about the, 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 the Fred and Freddies of, of Frisco, okay? It's about common, ordinary people. I want you to hear from one, Bryce Finnerty, who's a common guy who's doing this. I was an atheist before I decided to follow Christ. A friend of mine challenged me to read the Bible, and so I did. And it was clear to me the Great Commission to go and make disciples was part of following Jesus. So after I accepted Christ in 2006, I enrolled in a discipleship class and I joined LifePoint Church. I got started in missions in 2007 when Pastor George asked me to join the missions team to Nigeria. That trip was so impactful for me that 
There I saw the full power of the gospel to change lives. And after that, I wanted to share the truth with others about how Jesus can change your life. I found my purpose, and now I serve on international missions and teach discipleship at LifePoint. And my passion in life is to grow the kingdom and to help others join God's family by helping them to know God personally. I've been on 14 international mission trips. I've been to Nigeria, to Zambia, Haiti, and the Philippines. And I even had the chance to lead a trip to South Africa where we saw a lot of lives changed. Mission trips are truly the highlight of my year. I grow so much on mission trips. I've grown in my faith. I've grown to learn to uh, trust in what is not seen. And I've learned obedience in following Christ. In the Philippines, our man of peace there is Pastor Bernard. He is an amazing individual, and he's even renamed his church LifePoint, and he's a church planter. And Life Points are spreading all over the place in the Philippines right now. We go out evangelizing with the um, local Filipino churches, and it's amazing when you present the gospel. You're seeing people come to Christ right before your eyes. You're seeing lives changed. When they accept Christ, we go back and disciple them right away, and we're seeing the churches grow there. It's really amazing. Let's give it up for Bryce. <laughs> Bryce is just an ordinary guy. He used to be an atheist, okay? And now he's heading up one of our mission teams. I'll tell you who's not, a super, who's not ordinary. That's his wife who's let him go 14 times in the last seven or eight years. She is a superstar, in my opinion, okay? Ordinary people that are empowered by God. That means we don't, we don't rely on our own power. Making a difference together, meaning that you don't do it on your own. You do it with other people. You do it with your small group. You do it with a church family. Wherever we go, we do it here, there, folks. We do it everywhere. Take a look at this verse out of John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will last. Will you circle some words and phrases? Will you circle to go? Part of your calling is to be sent. It's not stay and make, it's go and make. Circle the word fruit it is a metaphor for a successful life, a productive life, a fulfilling life. If you want a fulfilling life, you got to go. You've got to be sent. Why? Will you circle the word last? Jesus says, I want you to have fruit that will last. That's what gives significance. That's what gives satisfaction. Now, let me be honest with this. Most of what you and I do isn't going to last 10 20, 50 years. The things, honestly, that we spend most of our time on won't even be remembered, I don't know, 50 years from now. Nobody's going to remember the movies that you saw 50 years ago. No one's going to remember the books that you read. No one's going to remember the parties that you and I are going to go to this Christmas. There are only two things that are going to last forever, God's word and people. And so if you invest in those two things, in God's word and in God's people, you will be investing your life in those things that are going to last. 
Think about this. Think about eternity future, and you're walking into those pearly gates, and God gives you a high five, and you go, man, this is awesome. I'm here, and as soon as you walk in, someone rushes up and says, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and you are looking at them, and you're thinking, thank you for what? I don't even know you. Do I know you? This person goes, no. But you know, you went over on the east side of Meadows and became a mentor with one of the kids, And that kid touched me, and I came to know Jesus as my forever friend. And then another person comes up and says, hey, I want to thank you. Well, I don't know you either. Yeah, I know you don't, but you know what? You participated in a missions trip to South Africa or to Haiti or to the Philippines or to Nigeria or to Vietnam. And what you did there, you don't realize, but you touched one of my relatives who then came and shared the gospel with me, and now I am your forever friend. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Folks, there's nothing more important than you can do in helping people determine the destiny of their lives than going and touching lives because it's the only thing that's going to last. You've heard me say this before, the greatest, the greatest use of your life is to invest your life in those things that are gonna outlast it. And there's only two things, the word of God and people. And that is why Jesus says, I want true fulfillment out of you. I want true fruit. And that fruit has to be built on things that are lasting. People. When we talk of the ministry of reconciliation here at LifePoint, I would have us understand that it is 3D, three dimensions. There is personal reconciliation, there is local reconciliation, and then there is global reconciliation. Personal reconciliation is your personal mission to the people in your relational world. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. My question to us is this, do you know your neighbors? Do you know your, your coworkers? Do you know what makes them happy, what makes them sing, what makes them sad, what brings sorrow into their life? That's personal reconciliation. And then there is local reconciliation. This is, uh, uh, this is all about what we do with others in our small groups to bring people in. And then there is global reconciliation, is what our church is doing throughout the world. Now the interesting thing is this, is that when you study the scriptures about your fifth calling, the the model obviously is Jesus. And there are five things that Jesus did if you study his life. He planted a church. (laughs) He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He raised up servant leaders He loved everybody, but he raised up servant leaders. He fed 5,000, he trained 70, he discipled 12, he mentored three, and he had one very, very, very close buddy. He raised up leadership. Thirdly, he helped the poor. In fact, Jesus' first sermon out of Isaiah was to the poor. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I have come to preach uh, the good news to the poor. Jesus loves the poor. Fourth, he cared for the sick. As Jesus would come into town, he would do three things. He taught, he preached, or he preached and he taught, and then he healed. One third of Jesus' ministry was a healing ministry. 
And the fifth thing that he did is that he never denied children from coming to him. He'd go into a town, all the kids would be clamoring all over him, and his disciples would be ticked, say, gee whiz, these rotten kids, you know. And, and he'd say, no, no, don't, don't, don't bar them from coming to me. If you're going to model your life after Jesus, you have to be interested in children and in teens. Now, the interesting thing to me is I've thought through this is that Jesus' plan of reconciliation is the antidote for the five top UN millennial goals for the world. Conflict, corruption, poor leadership, poverty, and a lack of education. Jesus is the antidote for all five of those things. And you want to know what's going to happen? One day, Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to set everything right. Jesus is the answer. Now I can be I need to be honest, we haven't done these things in the history of our church in the last 27 years. 10 years ago though, we started in earnest. And we started in stages much like JFK when he came to the nation says we're going to the moon, okay? They just didn't, they, as a nation, we just didn't do that in one giant step, okay? No, we did it in stages, and so we've done it in stages. For NASA, their first stage was the Mercury uh, stage, and that was just to get a man in space and bring him home safely. For us, if you remember, we did, we did a, a year's worth or so of we love Collin County, just loving our neighbors, the second phase of NASA was the Gemini phase. It was getting people up into space and being up there for a while and doing some work that they would have to do on the moon. For us, that was going to Meadows. We're in our eighth year now, making away, chipping away at being, so to speak, in outer space, okay, in a different culture, but close geographically. Then the third NASA phase of NASA was the Apollo phase, and that's where they got the guy to the moon and they were up there doing things and they came back. For us, that was global missions that we started in earnest about eight years ago. You see, Jesus' life is a model. And he gave us the strategy in Acts 1.8. It says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and, in, and to the ends of the earth. Will you circle three words and a phrase? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. When Jesus said this to the disciples, where were they? Well, they were in Jerusalem. So what does that mean? He, in essence, he was saying, I want you to start where you are. God wants you and I to start where we are, with our families and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors. Then he says, Judea. What is Judea? Well, it's close geographically and a little bit different culturally. That's like when we as a church, we go over to Meadows throughout the year at different times. And some of us are mentoring kids over there every week. Then he says, go, uh, then he says Samaria. What is Samaria? It's a little further geographically, but a lot different culturally. That is like when some of us go down to Soul Church, which is a church in downtown Dallas that, that is a church without walls that ministers 100% towards the homeless. That is different culturally, okay? And then he says the ends of the earth. That means a long ways off geographically and quite a bit different culturally. 
That is like going to the Philippines or Nigeria or Vietnam or, or Somalia or, or wherever we have gone in the world. You see, God has a heart for the whole world. Matthew, five times Jesus gives the Great Commission. Let me give you just one of them. It's Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It says, go and make disciples of all the nations. Will you circle the word all? It's interesting. In the book of Revelations, two times it gives a scene of heaven that's gonna happen there, okay? Two times. And the scene was this. It's described where everyone from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation will be around the throne of the Lamb. Two times it's mentioned that way. From every tribe, from every people, from every, every group, from every nation. I don't know if you realize this, but there are three to 4,000 different people groups that have not been reached. You know what God says? I want you to go. I want you to go. I'm sending you. What I would have you know that behind the scenes in the last two years, we at LifePoint have been working on this. And the reason I haven't brought it up is because people's lives are at stake. But in the last two years, we have sponsored two conferences. Put up the picture. In Pakistan. That is on the edge of people groups that have not been reached. And do you see the sign? Thank you, LifePoint Church. And in these last two years, we have started and funded two new churches, LifePoint churches. Because God says this, I want you to go. And I want you to go to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Last two years, Dennis and I have been trying to go there to personally encourage the believers to come up with our NASA strategy. The Mercury, the, Gem, uh, the Gemini, the Apollo, to launch it, to reach other people for Jesus. But with travel restrictions, the government says, you're not going. We will. It'll work out sometime. And you might sit there and you might ask, why do we do this? Because there will be people in heaven from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. The only question is this, will we as a church participate in it? Will we as a generation of boomers and millennials be a part of reaching the three to 4,000 un, un, unchurched, unreached people groups? I know Star Wars is coming out, but think back to Star Trek. You, you know their logo was, you know what their logo was, what, don't you? Space, the what? The final frontier. This idea of going to unreached people groups in Pakistan, on the edge, is our final frontier as a church. From there, what we do is we develop what we've already started throughout the world. We want to boldly go where no man has ever gone before. And it's our choice. But understand, it's going to happen. Because Jesus said it. One day, there will be people around my throne from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I don't know about you, but I want to be in on some of that. Take a look at this verse out of Isaiah 14. 
It will all happen as I've planned. It will come about according to my purposes. I have a plan for the whole earth, for my, for my mighty power reaches throughout the world. God loves every nation, not just America. He loves every nation, and he has a purpose and a plan, and he has the power to pull it off. And why is that? Because every single person matters to Jesus. He made them to love them. When I was in Europe in September doing a Band of Brothers World War II tour, we went to the American Cemetery in the Netherlands. It is 65 and a half acres. It contains 8,301 soldiers. 17,000, were, there were 17 really thousand plus more there, but their families brought them back to the States. So what is there is the typical picture of what you would see at a military seminary. All the crosses, stars of David, whatever, are lined up, okay? And as I was told this information, this curator says, what's the most important number? I mean, those are kind of impressive or all numbers. I mean, 8,301. Out of that, there's seven Medal of Honor winners. But what's the most important number? And he said, one your son or daughter that's buried there, here. And then he shared a story with us about how they found a, an airman who was shot down over the Netherlands during the Market Garden uh, campaign. And they found his body in the late 60s, early 70s. And, and in finding the body, they asked the family, you know, where they would want their loved one's remains sent back to him. They says, we don't want it. We want it to be buried there in the, the American cemetery in the Netherlands. He says, well, that's impossible. The cemetery is closed. And they produced a document, his will, that if he was killed there, he wanted to be buried in the Netherlands because his family was from the Netherlands. And the whole town, Midwest town, got together and petitioned Congress that, it, that, that, that stated no, no more burials overseas in the European theater. But this group of people won. And today, as you look at the cemetery with all the crosses lined up, take a look at this picture right here. You will see one cross out in front of all the other ones. When I was there crying like a baby, thinking about what my father-in-law had gone through in World War II, D-Day plus five, and thinking about the soldiers that was there, and thinking about that one soldier, I thought, every life is important. And then my next thought was this, just one more for Jesus. One more around his throne. One more from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, because every life is important. How do I do that? Four things. First, pray. I pray that people will say yes to God. I pray that people will say yes to their mission and their message. Take a look at Matthew chapter 9, 37 and 38. Jesus said, there are so many people to harvest, but only a few workers to help harvest them. Pray to the Lord who owns the harvest that he will send out more workers to gather his harvest. Part of your calling is just to pray. It's to pray that God will send out labors into a harvest that is ripe. 
I mean, think about this. Does anybody deserve to hear the good news twice when some haven't even heard it once? That's a thought for you. Secondly, give. Give to help others go. You see, maybe you are in a stage of life that you can't go right now, okay? You're a stay-at-home parent, mom, whatever, and you got three little rug rats, okay? You just can't go. Or maybe you are getting more senior, and those legs creak when you walk. You're creaky, and you can't go. You can help others go. The Bible says that when you give, guess what? You get credit. Take a look at 3 John 1.8. We must support believers who go on trips like this so that we can work together with them in spreading the truth. In your bulletins, I want you to pull out the insert. It's the Beyond Our Walls insert. Last year, we did a capital campaign to raise money to do four things, to renovate our student center because we wanna reach more students for Christ, start our Frisco satellite, fund our local and global missions, and build a connection center. What we have not finished, we've finished the, the student center, but what we have not finished is the connection center. We wanna build a connection center that will connect our community through culturally relevant events like baby showers, like um, wedding showers, like different uh, corporate event things that we can invite them on our campus and host them so that they know that they are loved by Christ. That's not finished yet. Then our global and local missions is not finished yet. We're still working away at these different places. And then the other one is Hosp Elementary. It's where our satellite church is at in Frisco, okay? We just got that off the ground in September. It was a relaunch. These things are not done. We must finish the race. And so I say this, if God has blessed you and you can finish your Beyond Walls um, pledge, do so because the sooner the money comes in, the sooner we can get these things off the ground and done. And so you and I pray. We give. The third one is you step out. I can step out in faith. Now, what does that mean? It means volunteer. God's mission is 100% voluntary, okay? There's no draft here. You have to volunteer. You say, I'm God, I'm in, okay? I want to ask this question. Or I'm going to raise this question, not to bring attention to myself, but just to make this point. Do you want to know why God uses me? It's because I volunteer. Every day, I wake up, and before my feet hit the ground, I say, okay, God, I know you're doing some really cool things today. Let me be in on just one or two of them, okay? God, I want to be where you're blessing. I don't want to be what, what I'm, I don't want you to bless what I'm doing. I want to be where you're blessing, because that's where excitement is at. This is what Isaiah, or Isaiah's heart was. Look at Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. I'll never forget in 1974, I was in a church in Kansas City area that started another church a couple of uh, counties away. 
And they were saying, hey, we need people to go there. And I will never forget the call that God had on my life. George, I want you to go. And I am glad I did. Because it was there I really discovered what my calling in life is. I remember about 10 years ago when I was up in Van Alstine commuting down from the country to here and I was sitting in my office listening the, to a, 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 a pastor teaching about the importance of living your life outside the walls of the church and I broke down and I cried because I thought, you know, for so long all I've been concerned about is the ministries that happen in the church and I could care less about the community that you've placed me in. And I came off of that, that time I said, okay, we're gonna get outside the walls of the church. And we launched, we love Collin County. And then a year or so later, we, we launched uh, Going to Meadows on the east side. And I said, you know what? We gotta go on missions. We gotta get our people mobilized. It's just about ordinary people getting out there and doing it. And so I said, okay, Dennis, he's, he's my partner in crime. He, he's my William Wallace, okay, a brave heart, okay? I said, Dennis, I want you to go with me. We're gonna, we're gonna do a vision trip around the world. And it was during the holiday time. I took the whole holiday time and Dennis and I traveled three-fourths away around the world and because we wanted to save $500 for each person, we traveled the same way back. That was hard. I came back sick and I came back tired. Have you ever been sick and tired before? Some of us are sick and tired of being sick and tired. I came back sick. I had one week before Christmas came and I had to do like five services. And I missed all the Christmas specials that were on TV. <laughs> but it was worth it. Because now when you go back to some of those spots, there are LifePoint churches there now. Not in all of them, but in many of them. Was it worth missing all the Christmas specials to go on a vision trip, to get Bryce involved with his atheist background, with a heart for the gospel, and to get other people, come on, we've got to form teams. We can do this. You bet. Why? Because it's lasting. Maybe God's putting this on your heart. I'd love to talk with you. You see, I dare you to say the simplest prayer and it's just three words. God, use me. God, send me. Look at Psalm 67 too. Send us around the world with the news of your saving power and your eternal plan for all mankind. That is the attitude. God, send me. I'm willing, God. Maybe, like Bryce, you will discover your calling specifically. The fourth and final thing is this, go. Go where I can now. This is about personal reconciliation. It's about your family and friends and coworkers and neighbors and local reconciliation. It is about you being in community with others and reaching out and bringing people in. Folks, we live in a country that has lots and lots of needs. There are a lot of people that are hurting, helpless and hopeless, and now I say homeless there are all kinds of things that you and I can do right now in our own backyards. I say this, do them. Do them now. Go now. Do it. 
Go to your families. Do you have, have you identified the family members that you're going to invite to this Christmas, this, this Christmas season and series that we're going to be in, especially Christmas Eve? Do you have a list of, of coworkers that you're praying for, that you know that they are far from God? Do you, do you have a list of, do you know your neighbor's needs, their hurts, their habits, maybe some of their hangups? Go, go now. You see, one day in Jesus' ministry, he was walking through a town, and some guy was delusional. He was kind of mixed up in the head, and Jesus got his head turned the right way. And this guy says, you know what? I want to follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I just want you to go back to your hometown. Look at this, Luke 8, 39. Jesus said, go back home and tell people how much God has done for you. So the man went all over town telling how much Jesus had done for him. Folks, that's what God is saying to you and I. Go back home. Go back to your schools, go back to your campuses, go back, go back to your cities, and tell people that are around you the good news. God is not mad at you because every Life is important. And we all want just one more around Jesus' throne. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that you left heaven above and you came into our world that we might see and understand who you are, that we might know and comprehend in our hearts the love that you have for us, even in the state of being that we are. That you just love us, end of statement. God, may the love that you have poured into our hearts that we know in our minds and in our everyday life, may it well up so great within us that we cannot help but be sent to just share a story about what you're doing in our life, in our church, in our small groups, about what you're doing in our families. That somehow our story, as we listen to their stories and we share your story, that God, you bring peace into our world. Maybe right now you don't have that peace because you've not said yes, willingly said yes, and dropped Christ from your head to your heart. You've been a fan of Jesus, but you haven't been a follower. Today's your day. Will you just say this, God, right now, I admit, life has been about me. But I understand today that you made me to love me, that you want to come into my life, and you want me to understand the call that you have for me that is fulfilling and lasting. And so today, this morning, I say yes to you, Jesus. Come inside, work in me, and God, work through me for your glory and for other people's good. And if you prayed that prayer, as simple as it was in your own heart and mind, God heard it. Would you just let me know on your connection card? Just 
write, give me your name, your email address, and just write the letter A and circle it saying, I've accepted Christ this morning. And I'll mail you or email you some literature that'll help you understand what you've just done. So God, we thank you for the call that we that you have on our life. May we be those who not only understand it, but God fulfill it for you and for others. In your son's name we pray, amen.